Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow. Lindsey Rhodes here, coming off a crazy day in the NFL, the Sunday of week six. I feel like I say that every week, that it's crazy. Maybe it's time I come up with a different phrasing, but you guys, the Steelers beat the Bucks, the Falcons beat the Niners, the Jets beat the Packers, the Giants beat the Ravens. I mean, come on. By the way, the Giants beat the Ravens in a game where they averaged 3.8 yards per play. It all makes very little sense what's happening here. But in the Giants' case, it continues to happen. They just win. Barely, but they win. Four points, the differential in this week's game. They are plus 14 in scoring differential on the year with five wins. That ranks 12th, by the way, in the NFL, that plus 14 scoring differential. They are tied with Buffalo and Minnesota, meanwhile, for the second best record in the NFL. And the betters are buying it. Over at Caesar Sportsbook, they've received the eighth most bets this month in October to win the Super Bowl. Buffalo, not shockingly, number one, followed by the Chiefs, then the Niners, and then Philadelphia. Buffalo, by the way, we talked about New York's scoring margin being just 14. Buffalo has outscored opponents by a whopping 95 points. <laughs> that is by far the most in the NFL. Philadelphia is next closest with 56. You know who's last in this department? Has the worst scoring differential in the league? I bet you think it's the Panthers. That's a good guess. They're down there. Minus 43. It's not them, though. It's the Steelers who have been outscored by 49 points this season. And that is with this week's game factored in, a two-point win over a team that I guarantee you is still going to appear in the top 10 of people's power rankings this week, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who looked very out of sorts on Sunday, was another big game for Leonard Fournette. I kind of wonder how much of that is purposeful at this point and how much of it is a sign that something else they're trying to do on offense just isn't working. 27 touches for a running back? in a Tom Brady-led offense against a defense that's down its top three corners and also missing Minka Fitzpatrick on the back end, that cannot have been their plan. Maybe it was. I don't think it was. Let's see. What else jumped out at me this week? Ooh, how about this, you guys? You know who scored the most points this week? Quick off the top of your head. It was the Patriots, who scored 38 points against Cleveland. Take into consideration their expected points added on offense and defense this week, and you could make the argument that they had the best week six out of anybody in the NFL. They were top four in both of those aforementioned categories. And now they've got a decision to make that I'm not sure is an easy one, and that is stay with Bailey Zappi at quarterback or go back to Mac Jones. And yes, it's fair to point out that their success this week and Zappi's success came against the Browns, who have been awful this year on defense, 31st in expected points added per play, and that is against Zappi, Baker Mayfield, arguably the worst NFL quarterback this year, Mitchell Trubisky, who was promptly replaced at quarterback, Marcus Mariota, and Joe Flacco. Those are the quarterbacks that they have faced this year, and they still rank 31st in expected points added per play on defense. Worth pointing out, though, Miles Garrett still balling. Two sacks yesterday, one of which was a strip sack, eight total pressures, three quarterback hurries, had a very high pass rush win rate. Can't do it all. And Cleveland is two and four. From an injury standpoint, a few pretty big things to pass along. First, Carson Wentz is going to be out for a while, maybe four to six weeks. They're thinking about short-term IR there as he works through a fractured ring finger. So it'll be Taylor Heineke against the Packers this week, a team whose quarterback is also dealing with a fingal injury. Coincidentally, Aaron Rodgers' thumb specifically bothering him. Played through it yesterday, but it very much looked like it was an issue. He was seen flexing the thumb at times. His accuracy was off, under threw a few balls. I've been saying it for a while. I don't see it with that Green Bay offense. Even when he's healthy, I think they need an alpha on the perimeter. They don't have it. And it sounds like Rodgers agrees with that assessment, by the way, that they need one. He said after the game yesterday, they're making simple mistakes on complex plays, suggests that they either simplify things even more or, quote, if you need to make a move, you make a move. Also said that if there was a trade to be made, that he expected Green Bay to be in the mix. Now, he might not be referring to the wide receivers. He did not say wide receivers. He did not point in that direction. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but if I were looking to upgrade that team, that's where I would start because what they're doing there is not working. To the degree where 
They are neck and neck, you guys, with Chicago in expected points added per play on offense. Also defense, but offense is what we're talking about here. And I mean, we all know what Chicago is on offense. They're rebuilding. They don't have it. This is not the year. We see that in every way possible, including on the stat sheet where they show up as the 24th best offense in terms of expected points added per play. You guys, Green Bay's 23rd. On defense, Green Bay is 19, Chicago's 20. What's happening here? Chicago and Green Bay, neck and neck, huh? Trade deadline's November 1st. We did already see a trade on Monday, and I presume that we will likely see a few more in the next few days. But about the player traded today, let's go ahead and bring in today's guest, former NFL defensive back and current host of the Believe in Bengals podcast with Adam Pacman Jones. He's also one of the hosts of the opening drive on Sirius XM NFL radio. It is Solomon Wilcots. Hello, let's go. Two, one, two, one, two, ready? Hey. Solly, Solly, Solly. I'm going to completely date this podcast by starting it uh, with what is breaking news as we sit down to talk, and that is the Robbie Anderson trade to the Arizona Cardinals in light of what might have been a potential, well, might have and potentially are the same thing. I don't need both of them. A season-ending foot injury to Hollywood Brown yesterday, right, as D-Hop is coming back. So the good news for Cardinals fan. D hops coming back. The bad news, they would have very much like to see D hop and Hollywood Brown on the field together for this offense that has been struggling, but maybe Robbie Anderson is the answer. Hey, look, I, if, if Robbie Anderson wasn't the answer for the Panthers, even before <laughs> the, the explosion, <sighs> I, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work in Arizona. No. I don't, I don't know that anything was working in Arizona. So like, let's just go back and look at even prior to this trade for Robbie, this offense is ailing. Now I do believe that Deandre Hopkins can help at least um, provide a rudder um, for an offense that seems to be aimless. Um, But we thought that was going to be Hollywood Brown. And now we put that on uh, Deandre Hopkins in his return. And now we're going to put that on Robbie Anderson when Robbie Anderson who, while he does have talent, this is a guy that could take the top off coverages, but for whatever reason, it wasn't. It, while it had been working in Carolina, it hadn't worked recently. Mm-hmm. And I tend to think that, you know, what you have gotten uh, recently, that's what you tend to get. And I don't know where the miraculous change uh, is going to occur, but uh, Arizona seems to, uh, you know, I think it's part the coach with the offense is part the quarterback and his ability to do things better. Throwing all these new pieces in something that needs fixing in and of itself. Um, I, I'm just not so sure how that's going to work out. I mean, Arizona didn't just lose yesterday. They put up nine points that's right. against a Seahawks squad that had surrendered 39 to New Orleans the week before, a team that didn't have anyone available to them. It was like, who are these people out there playing like Taysom Hill? Do it all. 39 points uh, allowed in that game. And then the week before, they'd given up 45 points to Detroit, who then turned around and scored zero points the next week. And the week before, they'd given up 27 points to the Atlanta Falcons. Like, this is not a good look for Arizona. I can't. Uh, why, why is it not working? Is it? Well, I mean, well, first of all, week six proved to us that there's something internally wrong with the Arizona Cardinals in their offense, because if you can't score on Seattle, you can't score yeah. on anyone. Yep. Uh, they ranked dead last coming in against the pass, dead last total defense. Um, it was a defense that was mightily struggling. They all of a sudden got well going up against the Cardinals offense, which is um, listen, this is an offense that typically would get off to a fast start um, to the season. And this year has been the opposite, right? Yeah. They have not gotten off to a fast start. Then it was an offense that at least could get you some points in the second half. Maybe not a fast start. Um, in the, in, I don't think they've scored a touchdown to this point in the first quarter. That's what I was going I, I don't know that they yeah. have. Yeah. And and so uh, so the the bigger question is, we had kind of been thinking that the NFL and its defenses within the course of a season would catch up to this, this offense. And that's why the offense would struggle. And then we always would factor in the, the diminutive stature 
of a Kyler Murray because they have put so much on him and he's such a small guy that, listen, this happens with bigger players even in the NFL. We tend to wear down over the course of a 16 and now 17-game season. So the battle of attrition also goes on the scale with why this offense tends to struggle later in seasons, um, and along with catching up to the scheme that Cliff Kingsbury have brought into the NFL. There, there's a higher threshold. And now that we've seen it for multiple seasons, it's just not even working. Nothing's working and until they say, hey, Kyler, why don't you go spread? Just drop back and, you know, just do what you do. And now that's not even working. Why we saw it last work with against the Las Vegas Raiders when they went into overtime and he had the comfort behind win. That, that's an example of how they were producing later in games. Now they can't even do that, Lindsay. So I think there's it's multi-level. Your the answer to your question is is all of those things that I just told you, and then some. Uh, so back to the you know first quarter points. I looked it up while you were talking. They literally just scored their first points of the uh, season in but the no touchdowns this past week, right? Yeah, but no offensive that, touchdowns. That, that, that field goal, but that field goal is literally it. In the first quarter, they got three points in the first quarter this year. It's crazy. And obviously uh, the percentages of the percentage of series that they had been converting on fourth down going into week six was the highest in the NFL by far. And clearly that's not a sustainable model. Yeah, I think yeah, so. I think they were one of five on fourth down. They were five of 21 on third yeah. and fourth yesterday. Yeah, but on so. fourth down exclusively, they were yep. one of five. So what I'm trying to paint a picture here is that they can't it's convert on. No, I'm, I'm going to be more specific than that. Okay. Because that's very general. We know it's not good. Yeah. But they're not. My point is they're not good on third down. Mm-hmm. So they have to repeatedly go right. for it on fourth down. And now they can't even convert that, which you have to understand that's critical. Now it's hurting the defense because typically you're going foot on fourth down, but you're giving great field position to the opponent because I believe the defense is good enough to keep, keep the other team scoreless providing, you know, field position does factor in the way we play our game. I think so data analytics, which I totally believe in, but I also do believe in the analytics of making you go, the distance to score as opposed to giving you the ball right at my doorstep. So uh, that's what the Cardinals are doing now because of their ineffectiveness on third and fourth down. What going back to the team that Robbie Anderson is leaving, because that was a crazy, that was a crazy meltdown on the sideline. Do you have any idea what happened there? I mean, aside from he was unhappy with the way he was being used, I guess, have you heard anything else about what went down there? No, but here's here's what we do know. Let's go by what we do know. What we do know, he had zero catches in the game. Yeah. Not because he wasn't playing. He was playing. He just had zero catches in the game. Robbie, uh, here's another thing that we do know. He played for Matt Rule at Temple. Right. Okay. So you think he is more favored by the previous coach? And maybe he doesn't feel as accepted by the current uh, regime or the changes that have been made. And then he's not getting the ball for players. Once they get something going through their head, my guy is out. The new guy is in. The guy who just left was my guy. I don't know about these guys, but let's wait till we get to the game and see. And now the ball's not coming my way. This is what we know about receivers. This isn't hyperbole. This isn't conjecture. If, you, if they're not getting the ball and they're not getting it early, and they can tell from the week of practice because there's this thing we call a game plan that everybody gets, right? And you get to look at it. So we're not guessing when we say they're not throwing the ball to me, they don't want to throw the ball to me because players have the game plan. The opponents don't have the game plan, but the players do. And so we know if we're factored into that plan and when you're not factored into the plan, The players aren't guessing when they say, look, they don't plan for me to be productive. They don't plan to get me the ball there. This is something that they don't have to say why they know, but I'm telling you, they know. And and, and so do we, because we can look at the game. The first 12 plays are scripted. 
And you can look at the first and count chart, the first 12 to 15 plays. It's guy not getting the ball. He is not factored in the division of labor for how they want to move the ball down the field. Should so he be? You see, of course, of course. He's, well, I don't think I know he should because he he has consistently um, been a deep threat player since he came into the league with the Jets, since he came over to the Panthers. Now, here's the problem. You got a new coach who's trying to figure out what he wants to do and how he wants to do it and who he wants to do it with. By the beginning of the game, they wanted to do it with P.J. Walker. By the end of the game, they even changed their mind on that. They wanted to do it with Jake Eason. So, okay, Jacob uh, Eason, excuse mm-hmm. me. So that's so it's a fluid situation. Maybe Robbie could have been a little more patient. Hey, they're trying to figure it out. What was said between he and the position coach? I can't tell you because I don't want to guess at that. What um, uh, what the coaches said to him, I don't know, um, but he was frustrated. I'm sure he feels a certain way about Matt Rule no longer being there. I'm sure he's wondering about his future and what we've seen with receivers. Instead of waiting to see what happens, they'll dictate terms. <laughs> In other words, I'll make it happen right here. They'll get me out of here right now. And then by the end of the year, I can pick what team I want to go to. We. This we have seen a pattern of this around our league. I don't know that's exactly what happened, but I do know he acted out in a way we've never seen him act before. He did it publicly and he's no longer there. Right. (laughs) So there you go. Yep. And I don't think they uh, had they got a lot for him in return because they're not disclosing the the draft details yet, which usually means it's like a low round pick somewhere In the future, do you think, uh, who do you think, what what should Carolina do with Christian McCaffrey? Oh, they should, I, I, they should first talk to Christian McCaffrey and see what Christian wants. Because I think Christian is, deserves and earned the respect of, of having that conversation. If you are a respectful organization, that's how you treat accomplished veterans in our league. I know they have a new owner. Um, so, you know. Um, I think they do have a good general manager who understands the protocols and process for the best way to handle that. And I, I would suspect that Christian would give them a list of teams that he would prefer to go to. And I would start making those calls now, sooner rather than later. Remember, they gave up. Uh, this is a team that gave up some picks. I'm sure they want to be able to recoup some picks um, and they want to be able to move forward with the next coach. If you're going to hire a respectable coach, um, they're going to say, okay, what do we got? What's what's the salary cap look like? What are our draft picks look like? And so you want to try to collect as much as you possibly can. Um, and, and I think that's, listen, if I'm Christian, I would be saying, look, I want to play with Josh Allen. I, I like what they're doing in Buffalo. Um, and I think he'd be great in that offense because I think he's at a point in his career where it's about championships, right? He's already got the bag. He's already got the second contract, um, but I think he'd be used effectively in that offense in a way where the wear and tear that we've seen over the last few years on Christian, I think um, I think he'd be able to stay in games, play longer and deeper into the season, but yet it'd be about those wild plays uh, because I think he'd fit in this offense perfectly and, and be able to provide some explosive moments for the Buffalo Bills. Okay, a couple questions to follow up on that. Mm-hmm. Peter Schrager reported yesterday that the Panthers are looking for a couple, multiple first round picks as compensation for Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. I, I I would literally be shocked if they could get one first for Christian McCaffrey at this stage of his career. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. if it is a first Mm -hmm. and they, that report was just there to drive up the price somehow and they'll take one. Would it be worth it to you if you're Buffalo to give up a one for him is he enough of an upgrade to what you already have with Devin Singletary, where that is compensation that makes sense? Yeah, I think there's some compensation that makes sense. And yeah, I would give up a first round pick if I'm Buffalo. Okay. And the reason why I say it, if I'm Buffalo, because Buffalo is going to finish probably in the top four, if not the top two, when this is all said and done. Mm-hmm. So that first round pick is going to be 32, That's 31. True. 30, 29. Yeah. So yeah. when people tell you that first, that, that draft picks are worth gold, no, they're not. Right. No, they're not. They each have a value. You tell me who you're going to draft. I'll tell you if it's worth gold. 
<laughs> because he, I've seen some people draft some guys and be like that draft pick. No, nah. that's um, a good point. Not all first yeah. round draft picks are created equal. No, and not all running backs are created equal. People, you know, the analytics would say you don't do this for a running back. Well, what if that running back is Jim Brown? Did, would you take Jim Brown in the first round? You bet your bottom dollar. Would you take Gail Sayers or Barry Sanders in the first? See, we have to get away from these um, these very broad sweeping terms. But you know what? I'd rather be working against someone who lived by those creeds because I know I'm going to beat you. I know you're isolated and stuck with this dogma that you've been feeding on. You don't take a running back in the first round. You know, you don't take any running back in the first round. But I can I can name a few that you would. I can name a few game changers that it'll help to have on Sundays. And so, and I know some running backs that nobody in this league like tackling. That's the guy I'm going to use the first round pick on. And I'm going to let everybody else live with that dogma, okay, that you don't take. Because he's a running back. Because it's so general. We haven't defined who that guy is. But and to push back know. on that, yeah, pushing push, back on that for push. just a sec, Solly. Push. You've got the Colts who have Jonathan Taylor, who everybody coming into the season was like best running back in the league. He went first in everyone's fantasy football drafts. And then he kind of gets off to a rough start to the season relatively. You're like, I don't know if it's him or if it's the O-line. Clearly, there are a lot of issues on that offense in general. And then you plug Deion Jackson into that offense yesterday, and he looks incredible. And I'm not saying that there's like a running back controversy. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor's that's his job. But you could make the argument just looking at Indy that Deion Jackson was who like, you know, was a guy who no one knew probably prior to this week, for the most part, you plug him in, he has a lot of success. So where, how much value or drop off or, you know, that, that doesn't help the, the pushback against the running backs or a dime a dozen argument. First of all, yeah, it does. Because okay. He, because he, he listen, they didn't win that game because of Jackson. They won that game because Matt Ryan was Dylan. Mm. That was a Matt Ryan game. Don't don't mix why a team won. Like for instance, if that's the case, I would say, well, why are we paying Dak Prescott all that money? Listen, last year that team, the Dallas Cowboys, for instance, scored thirty points a game. They're scoring nineteen points a game. Now they have won four in a row with Cooper Cup, and people act like they're the measurables are equal, and they're not. The, the division of labor and productivity by that player is nowhere comparable. Nowhere comparable. The contribution to winning for Cooper Cup is not the same. It's not the contribution for winning that was given by Dak Prescott over the course of the season. The same way with Jackson, and uh, and, right, and, yeah. and, and and there's no way. No way. Jonathan Taylor. And he didn't get off. He had he had a, a, a he was injured, but he got off to a good start. And now he's and now he's gone. He's got two day, two weeks off, just like Derrick Henry. Like that, you're going to get banged up. But quarterbacks get banged up, too. And when the next guy come in, it's not equal. Even if they happen to win, it's not the production is not equal. And I can point this out to you. I can show you plenty of moments in the game. Even against, say, the New England Patriots last year, they're they're in a battle. And guess what? Bill Belichick's got him dead to right. He's got an eight-man box. He's got the uh, an unblocked defender right in the hole where Jonathan Taylor is bringing it. Jonathan Taylor not only makes him miss, but make the other unblocked defender at the second level miss. 88, he out the gate, touchdown. They win that game going away. Bill Belichick's over there slamming clipboards. Jackson ain't did that. You can't get the low round pick to do that. You can't find it is not equal. But I listen, I'll let people live in that space. That's what I'm saying. Hey, you go ahead and do that. Let you see how many games you win with that guy. I'll see how many games I win with my guy. That's and that's that's why when the Green Bay Packers, when people were talking about the Packers when they took Jordan Love and they took AJ Dillon, I said, I don't have a problem with the AJ Dillon pick. That's a player. I know who he is. I watched that guy when he was at Boston College. He is that dude. Well, you to wait around and say, we can get one of them later. No, you can't. Trust me. No, you can't. <laughs> but Sully, the argument against that, that that people are making is that what you give up in that draft slot, if you take that running back there, is 
maybe someone who has a greater positional value that can affect the outcome of the game more. Like, are you passing on a cornerback? Are you passing on an edge rusher? Are you passing on a tackle? Are you passing on those types of people? It's all dogma. It's all conjecture. It's all hypothetical. They took A.J. Dillon. It was not a bad pick. In fact, you could argue they took the quarterback. That was the wrong pick. That Talk to me about that. There's no well, conversation about who they passed up for that because they want. Well, yeah, there is. Oh, let me finish my point. Okay. There isn't. I have never heard them say they passed up this. Yeah, everybody said, did you need a quarterback? But the point is, you hear these same people say, look. You, you're never going to go wrong drafting quarterbacks. You're never going to, you, you can never have too many. If something happens to this, if that and the other. The point is, they took the running back and we know it was a good pick. They took the quarterback and it wasn't. But you don't hear the clamor about quarterbacks going high because that's what this conversation is. Let's not lose context on that and, and not taking running backs high. And I'm just explained how one team took the quarterback high or in the quarter and the running back next and the running backs paid off more than the other guy. And, and so all I'm saying is these players, our league is never going to be a league where we throw on every down. You, I would be here all night if I tried to explain why the running game is so important, but I think mm-hmm. all you need to do is that watch what the Philly, the Philadelphia Eagles did against the Cowboys you can control tempo. You can control pass rush. You can't go getting up. You can neutralize the best defenders in the game. We didn't even, they didn't even have to block Michael Parsons. They didn't even have to, since when do you leave the best defender unblocked, right? And can play offense when the run game is clicking. Because if you throwing it on every single down, try, try leaving Michael Parsons unblocked. See how that's going to work out. So again, Some of us have been around through several cycles, several iterations of how the game evolves over time. And there's never been a time where those guys who get bloody your nose don't matter. The Falcons are another team that are trying really hard to support your argument for that running just a ton and having success. They're staying in games. I think a lot of people would look at the Falcons this year and say like, um, that they don't love the roster and they don't think that they're a good team, but there they are. They're in games three and three at this point in the season. Mm-hmm. They beat San Francisco yesterday, put up 28 points against them. Now one was a fumble recovery uh, for a touchdown in the end zone. So that wasn't an offensive that doesn't go against San Francisco's defense, but I was really impressed with what they were able to do against San Francisco's mm-hmm. D, which uh, by my money had looked like, one of the best defenses in the NFL so far. They yeah. only threw the ball 14 times. Oh, really? You got to be kidding. You mean we don't have to throw it all over the place like a video game and we can still win games against teams that we know are better than we are? You're telling me the run game actually helped us leverage our talent? What little we have to beat Goliath? Oh, my goodness. I thought that's what we were just talking about, but it's okay. But they all look, the quarterback factors in this also, Lindsay, to your point, um, to, to me, the quarterback as a runner, thrower, passer, to, along with that backfield and obviously your offensive line receivers who can block, it impacts it. But it really is about the RPO scheme. OK, it's that run pass option that puts the defense in a state of flux where they don't know where to go. And that, in fact, whatever you do, you're going to guess wrong. That's why it's called a run-pass option. We can we can put the ball in the belly of the back, and if you come and chase the running back, now I'm going to pull it and throw it behind you. If you lay back and think you're going to come get me, now I'm going to give it to the runner. It's, uh, it's, it's really powerful stuff. I think it, it, it lends more credence to what we're talking about. And Look, I'm not some old fogey that's like, hey, run the ball. That's not. There's nuance to this conversation. And I think that's what we're seeing teams do. We're allowing those who want to live in the dark ages of just run, run, run and not throw and not win games. But we also letting those guys who just want to throw, throw, throw and not protect the quarterback and let him get beat up. Matthew Stafford and the L.A. Rams. That's where they're at right now. They're throwing it 70 percent of the time, running it 30 percent. You go back to when the Rams were being successful, they were much more balanced. 
They yeah. were leveraging the talent on that offensive line with Andrew Whitworth and multiple backs. They were getting it done with multiple guys, but they still had greater balance where they could keep the defense in a state of flux. That's what allowed their passing game to flourish and operate at a higher level. Well, that's why for me, you mentioned the bills for Christian McCaffrey. For me, the Rams make a lot more sense because I feel like this is a team I keep thinking like with Sean McVay and some of the pieces that they have. I keep thinking this is a team that could click at any moment, but could, clearly could, could, could click. To I'm, 100%. Going to, I'm going to the team that is clicking. Well, hey, yeah. if you're a player and you're a veteran like McCaffrey, where you're at in your mm -hmm. career, this ain't no gamble. I need to make this next move work and I need to see evidence of it right now. Josh yeah, Allen, Josh Allen is the net. He is, he's not a dual threat. He's the ultimate threat. Yes. I'm not, there's no way as much as I love my boy, Matty Stafford, there ain't no way I'm picking that model over the new model. No well, way. Yeah, but you're talking about it as if he gets to pick. I'm talking about compensation. And if he a does. team is now, I don't know where the Rams get their compensation. Like, do they, they even have, have first draft picks? They right. I get, no. I get that. But so, I, so why I are we talking it, about it? Hyperbole conjecture. They, well, they don't have it. It's conjecture. We don't no, know if the bills are no, interested. No, we, we know Rams don't have it. I'm not talking about if they're going to trade. We know the Rams don't have currency. We know the bills do that. We do know. Uh, yeah. So then we know that one team is clicking offensively. The other one is not. Well, that's so why I know that one team <laughs> is far more motivated to go out and hey. get something that will make them click. Hey, you asked me on to give you some wisdom. I'm not saying I'm the Bernie Bush, but I'm trying to give it to you. I'm trying to drop it like it's hot. I, I'm just giving it to you. If you're asking me, if you're Christian McCaffrey, if you ask me how would it unfold, the general manager is going to go and talk to him. OK, and typically the way that works is they're going to try to honor that veteran because he's been a tried and true guy of that club and they want to make him happy to up to a certain level. They're not going to shortchange themselves, but the Rams don't have that currency. So if that if we're going to have a conversation, a more realistic one, clearly the bills, I think 10 out of 10 running backs sitting here right now, Christian McCaffrey situation with, with why the weather is great in L.A. I'm an L.A. guy born and raised. <laughs> but but if you were talking about our, the career, the trajectory of our careers, 10 out of 10 is going to take playing with Josh Allen and uh, playing in that Buffalo offense. Yeah, I think there's no doubt that anyone in the NFL right now would be like, where do you want to go? Buffalo would be the answer. They look like the clear cut favorite, especially coming off of yesterday's uh, game against the Chiefs. Do you, do you see them as the best team in the NFL? Do you put Philly in that category? Is there anybody that you think is on their level? Yeah, here, here's, look, I think they're both phenomenal. And I've been watching the Bills build this team for the last several years under Sean McDermott. And I know Leslie Frazier very well. Uh, the defense is the difference maker. If you go look at it across every metric, even over the last three years, you could take a more broader big picture or you could just take a, little, a sample size of what they're doing this year, even without Tredavious White who's one of the best corners in the league. They, they're so good, they could tell him, take your time. Because <laughs> he would have come off IR after four weeks, but they're telling him, take your time. Um, Taron Johnson is one of the best nickel corners in the NFL. You saw him close out the game yesterday with a big-time interception against Patrick Mahomes. Um, they've got young, talented corners. Um, young, who can flat-out play. Who had, This time last year, they were sitting on the bench and playing in college. But Sean McDermott understands that you build a defense from not from front to back, but back to the front. Bill Belichick is the same way. The strength of their defenses are in the secondary. And then they went out and made sure now we got some pass rush in Vaughn Miller to help the other young guys. So I started with the defense because their defense is so phenomenal. But for the Eagles, I, you know, I love James Bradbury. I wanted, I wanted the Bengals to go get him because I knew the Giants were just giving it away. And then when they got um, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, I said, oh, they're done. Oh, they're they're one of the best secondaries in the NFL right now because they, you know, they already had Darius Slay, who we have as a top 10 corner across all metrics. So I, I think they're both equal up front. I think they're equal on the back end. But now when we get to the quarterback's play, as much as Jalen Hurts has improved, I, I just think in terms of the growth curve. Because that's where Jalen Hurts is going as he continues to grow. 
I think Josh Allen's already there. And I think he proved that yesterday. Where did the Bengals fit into this whole conversation? Coming off a really good week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think people need to understand, and, and this is something like last year was one of those moonshots, right? It was like, you know, it's a moonshot. You either go to hit, you hit it big because no one could see it coming, um, exceeding expectations. And, and, and it was a team that just two years ago was not very good. And because of the quarterback and because of some moves in free agency, the Trey Hedrickson, um, the Mike Hiltons, um, the Shadobia Woozies, those guys kind of gave them this adrenaline shot that, and they're, they've just gotten better under Lou Anaromo defensively and offensively. When you interject four new offensive linemen, it takes time to get there. And so that's what you see. They're going through their own version of growing pains. And it's kind of like my golf swing, Lindsay, um, you know, when uh, Johnny bench, great major league baseball player, great golf teacher too. He says, Solomon, here, I need you to do this. I need you to load up that shot before you bring it back. I'm like, Johnny, come on, man. Pay attention to your game. Let me do my game. The reason why most golfers don't want to change anything is just like what I'm saying about the Bengals. You're going to have a setback when we're learning new things, mm -hmm. our growth and development. There's going to be, a, you know, this percentage of failure before you see that exponential growth on the other side. Most of us aren't willing to try new things for that very same reason. That's why I don't want to listen to Johnny on my tee shot, even though I ended up doing it and it worked. But that's where the Bengals are now with this offensive line and some of the new things that they're trying. They've had some setbacks, not to mention the appendectomy um, that Joe Burrow went through that caused him to miss a lot of time early in training camp. But I think they're starting to hit their stride. I think this is a team that's going to be there at the end. Defensively, they are much better than anyone ever would imagine. The Saints even though they didn't have a lot of their weapons, Saints had it going in the run game. They had over 200 yards rushing on the Bengals. I think they had an off day defensively, by the way, the Bengals did. Yeah. But they held them to only one for five inside the red zone. They forced all of those field goals out. Bought time for Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase to wake up <laughs> and start making some plays. And it turned out to be just enough to get out of there with the win. So they're the kind of team that they're young. They're still growing and they're going through those pains. They're going to have, just like a lot of these games, they just got to figure out how to win these games in the end. Their three losses have come on the very last play at the end of the game um, and a walk-off field goal by the opponent. So that tells you how close they are. They're three and three. It could be a lot of that. That margin could swing either way very easily. We've seen the the sack totals were insane, right? The first couple of weeks yeah. to your point mm -hmm. about the offensive line taking some time to gel. Have they, have they started to gel because we've seen oh, those yeah. sack numbers go down. The offense looks a little bit more familiar to what we're expecting from Cincinnati. I checked out, you know, bro's time to throw. It hasn't really gone mm -hmm. down dramatically. So it's not just like that he's adjusted completely and he's under duress, but he's getting the ball out fast. It's not that is, is the O-line is it starting to click? Yeah, he was getting sacked so quick in the process. Like his first, um, the first play of the off season on offense, he was sacked. Right. Second play of the season, he throws a pick six. <laughs> it's like this thing couldn't have, it could not have started any worse, Lens. I'm telling you right now. Uh, sacked three times uh, in Sunday's game against the Saints. It was loud. It was boisterous in there, as you probably can, uh, as you probably know. But he weathered the storm. He made some plays, took off on a 19-yard scamper and actually scored on the play, but hung in there in the middle of the game. They protected better down the stretch as the game went on. Um, I still think there's some growing pains. I still think he can be better. You got to know this about Joe. What he is not is a high-volume interception thrower. Not that he's not going to throw a pick because we saw week one, but he's not a high – like. He doesn't throw one every week or more. He goes stretches without any. And the reason why is because he will hold the ball. He knows it's better to take a sack than to rush the ball and throw a pick. And I think you can find that from the when they played the Tennessee Titans. One quarterback got sacked nine times. One quarterback threw three picks. Which one emerged the winner? <laughs> right? <laughs> so he's got enough evidence to show that if I protect the ball and don't turn it over, I can win a lot of games and there are some things that worse than getting sacked. Right. right. 
And that's giving the ball to the other team. We talked about uh, the Eagles and the Bills. The Vikings and Giants are also up there from a record standpoint at mm-hmm. five and one uh, near the top of the standings. Do you believe that the Giants are a good team? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And here's why. They have a good coach. They sure do. So players, here's one of the best kept secrets, because you won't hear scouts tell you this. You won't hear a lot of players say it. But when you say it to them, they say, wow, you know what? You're right. And you certainly won't hear coaches say it. Players, I don't care how good you are, you cannot overcome bad coaching. People are wondering why Russell Wilson looks unlike Russell Wilson. Same guy. (laughs) Different coach. Coach needs some work. He's a neophyte at his job. That's not, I'm not, you know, disparaging Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, proof is there. We have facts. First game against Seattle. They go out then and hire a coach to come in and help them with some decision-making. And then it manifests itself every time you watch him play. Russ is a good guy. He's not throwing his coach under the bus. He's trying to handle it. The red zone numbers are atrocious. They're one of the worst teams offensively. He's never been associated with that. But it's hard for players to overcome bad coaching. That's what the Giants were dealing with. And now they got a guy like, whoa, this guy's a force multiplier as Brian Dingball. He makes you better, which is what coaches are supposed to do. You know, now you got to bring something as a player. You better bring talent. You better be a fast learner. You better be able to translate that information given to you in the film room, in the playbook, and make it make plays come alive. That's what the good players do. Russell Wilson is that. Uh, Saquon Barkley is that. Uh, we obviously know Aaron Rodgers is that guy times 10, right? Some players are times three or four. But you, you give a great player a bad coach, man, I'm going to tell you right now, he gonna, he's going to look pedestrian. And so these Giants players are looking better. More importantly, they're bringing more energy and enthusiasm because it's fun coming to work. We got a plan. You remember I told you about coaches give you a game plan? I can't tell you how many times I've come in and be like, oh, 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 oh. I like that. You know what players never tell you? Yeah. Man, the game plan they gave us, that thing ain't working this week. They just keep that to themselves. But I'm right. telling you, they feel a certain way about it. And that's what makes coming to work fun in the NFL. So it makes it exciting. They gave me a plan of, bro, I think I might have four sacks this week. Bro, I think I'm a Allen Robinson, like, oh, I actually go catch some balls this week. I saw it in the play. And then when we went to practice, they had, dude, don't you know they actually were throwing me the ball? In practice? Now he's coming to the ballpark, man, that dude. Oh, yeah. But let him not have that process working. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Coming to the ballpark. Like, whatever. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to get with the family after the game. Well, all those players with the Giants, man, they they know it's a plan that's going to work. They know it's a plan that gives them a chance. Now they just have to go out and compete. And after beating the Giants, it's just growing every single week. It two things. The, mm-hmm. the, the confidence they have in the coach grows each week because the plan works but the confidence they have in themselves and one another grows each week. And so why people keep waiting for this Giants thing to die off, all they're doing is beating good teams now, right? <laughs> but, but Solly too, like you look at the box score and you're like, I don't understand how, because like you say, the game plan is working. You're right. They're winning games. So hundred percent, you can't argue with that. But you also look at like, on defense, they allowed 406 net yards to Baltimore while they only had 238. Their yeah. leading receiver is Daniel Bellinger, the tight end, with 38 yards. They're the only team in the NFL without mm-hmm. a 200-yard receiver. The offensive line has allowed pressure on 46% of Daniel mm-hmm. Jones's dropbacks. That's second highest in the league. There are a ton of metrics in which you're like, that's not good football. And yet, what, what are the most how- important metrics, though? Totally. <laughs> Tell, no, tell me what are, my, what are what are the yes, most the important wins. metrics? The wins, the wins, no, the wins. Other than that, no, that leads to winning. That's what I'm trying to get out. What are okay. the most important metrics that leads to winning? Um, turnovers. That's what they're doing. No, oh, ding, 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 ding. Give me, give me some more. Give me some more. 
The ability to turnovers, the ability to put the ball in the end zone. You, you, if you get in the red zone and have to kick field goals and I get in the red zone, I can give you all them yards. Mm-hmm. But if I don't give you the, the touchdown and force you to kick field goals, and then I end up with 230, you end up with 460, but I'm three for three inside the red zone or four for four, and you're one for four. I, I'm just telling you there are metrics that you have to be able to dial in when we when we start asking the questions, how are they winning? And then that's where you have to say, okay, now is it sustainable? And that's where you have to be able to factor in. And I think I gave some of those things that numbers can't add up. The spreadsheet ain't going to tell you. If Brian Dable can draw out of his players this thing we call discretionary energy, that's the energy players give up at their own discretion. Because mm-hmm. clearly Joe Judge couldn't get it out of them. This guy can because he gives them a plan that interests them. That's what coaching is about. Coaching is a people business. It's it's about being teachable, the ability to motivate, the ability to inspire like we would our own children. And that's where, look, I believe in, 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 in data analytics. I use it. I work with it every single day. I have I have all the data right here on my laptop. I love the great people at Pro Football Focus They're right down the street. I have an office there and it's all good because they're right here in Cincinnati. So aren't I the fortunate? So, but ain't no way uh, you're going to get me to give up all the other things that I know leads to winning. And that's what Malcolm Gladwell, who is the greatest data scientist for my money, who I love the most, he said that when you have 10,000 hours at something, you are truly proficient at what you do. So I know I'll have my 10,000 hours at this game, been it part of it my whole life. Why would I give up that experience and that knowledge and lean into something that's uh, that's more uh, that could never predict a Tom Brady, right? It could never predict that six round pick going to do what he do because the numbers wouldn't show it. The spreadsheets wouldn't show it. But the human quotient, if you tap into that, you can, it's easy to see. It's easy to see. It ain't easy for everybody to see. But it's easy to see. You brought up Tom Brady. I've seen some uh, gifs online. I don't know if this would count as a gif, but uh, people, yeah. the imagery of people bringing back the Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe dynamic. Now that we've got Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi playing yeah, really well. Yeah, Bla- yeah. Bailey Zappi, the only rookie quarterback in, su- in the Super Bowl era to both win and have a 100 plus passer rating in each of his first two starts. Now, he did that against some defenses that I think some people could poke some holes in. What are you seeing from him? And do you think he deserves a shot at being the quarterback? First of all, let's go back to uh, the week six game against Cleveland. Cleveland Browns have given up over 200 plus rushing yards each of their last two games against uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, and then who else ran it up on them? I forget who it was. They just ran right through. Um, I'm sorry. It was the Chargers. And the Chargers came in with the last oh, ranked yes. rushing attack and they yes. busted out for over 200 yards rushing. Yep. So I just knew Bill Belichick was going to crank up Ramadre Stevenson and say, hey, have at it. It's your day. Yep. Because we got this young guy. It's only a second start. I mean, we're going to need you, big fella. And next thing you know, Zappi's got 300 yards passing, a couple of touchdown passes, zero interceptions. And I said, Bill Belichick got him again. You load the box knowing that we got to run ball. And then from Andre, they had 98 yards rushing. Cleveland only gave up 98. Cleveland, it's most disappointing is their defense, but it's mainly their run yeah. defense. Their pass defense has been pretty good, especially with, um, you know, with Denzel Ward, Johnny Johnson and those guys. What you got to know about Bailey Zappi is he is a gunslinger. He went to Western Kentucky. Um, and he only played one year there because everywhere he's been, that dude was slinging it. He's a guy that's got a lot of a lot of work, um, a huge Rolodex, slinging it. That's that's who he is. He's a confident young man. He's not the kind of quarterback where you've got to, you know, have some training wheels on him. And, and the only thing was, will he start throwing it to the other team? Like a Drew Locke. Drew Locke's a gunslinger, but he tends to throw it too much to the other guys. So you can't, you got to kind of like have some guardrails against that. And I think that's what Belichick 
what the hell? You know, this guy in practice, he has this high completion percentage because they chart every single throw in practice. Mm-hmm. So let's like maybe we can let him throw it a little bit more. I think they found out that they could do more with Zappy than they could with Mac Jones. And these coaches, they they put a lot on you now. They put a lot on you. You got three guys in your head. Couldn't tell that yesterday with Zappy. You couldn't tell that Patricia, Joe Judge, Belichick, everybody tell a guy what to do. You know, we that was a problem. We all thought that was a problem. That's what's going on with Mac Jones. Too many voices, too many people. Mrs. Josh McDaniel did not seem to bother Bailey Zapp. Because when it when it's all down, that's the tape. When it came out, when he was coming out, the tape showed that this guy recognizes coverages. He ain't afraid to test a coverage or test a defense. He is going to sling it. Now, will he put it in the right place? And how will he handle that on the big stage? I think he started to answer some of that yesterday. So let's let it play out, get a larger body of work before we weigh in. But will we get one? Gotta like what you see. Because it looks like through the binocular lens video that I keep seeing from the the beat writers from New England, which is, of course, how they're forced to, like, take uh, video evidence of people on the practice field. Looks very spygate. Anyway, Mm -hmm. um, the what we've seen from Mac Jones is that he looks like he's kind of getting closer and closer and closer. So I'm wondering if we'll see enough of a body of work for Bailey Zappi to actually push this over the edge for him. I think if he got another game or two that then maybe you actually have more of a situation. If Mac Jones comes back this week, or if he's ready to come back this week, then Bill has to speed up that process. Do you think that he's seen enough to make the move already? First of all, here's what I can tell. Based on the way Bailey Zappi played yesterday, Mac Jones is coming back immediately. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy how much better I feel. You see that? So that tells you all you need to know. That tells you. And again, listen, Mac Jones see that guy every day in practice. Oh, see, the, the one thing I love about our game is that fans, it's like, you know, when they, ah, oh, hey man, the team and his teammates have been seeing that every day. Trust me when I tell you, it didn't, it don't just show up in a game. Players, it's like seeing a Broadway play. The people behind the scenes, behind the curtain, that's been rehearsed so many times. And before they ever let you get out there, you have to have demonstrated a level of competency. Now it's just a matter of, will you be able to handle that bright light? And that's what that's what Zappy showed. But I'm telling you right now, the reason why Belichick let him throw it that much, because he had already shown some of that. Yeah. So how does that impact Mac Jones? Mac Jones just got healthy. He just got healthy. And, and here's the deal. For Bill Belichick, it's no rush. He's not going to – one game – like that from Zappy. I mean, Zappy had some other games where he didn't do that, right? It ain't going to change Belichick. Belichick is, he plays the long game. He's not an impulsive man. He's not a guy that's going to blink based on what he has recently seen or what just blew by. And, 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 and now that a whiff of that is going to change his mind. He, no, he's going to play the long game. And so Bailey's going to have to do more. Mac Jones is going to have to do more uh, to solidify himself. But at the end of the day, you spent the first round pick on one guy, a fourth round pick on another recently. So they're both on a rookie deal. You kind of look at them both evenly. Mm. You do have more invested in one than the other. And I know that was true with with uh, Bledsoe and and Brady. Um, But that's where you that's the reason why you could send one packing because he was making too much. Yeah, so Brady is more like uh, Cooper Rush and Dak Prescott in terms of investment, right? Like, so exactly, exactly. This is this is yeah different in in terms of investment completely. Last thing I want to ask you about. Mm -hmm. uh, Let's stay with New England um, because uh, Bailey also sort of uh, proving a point about Bill Belichick and his drafting abilities. He took. lot of criticism for the draft that he had last year. And those guys that he was criticized for drafting where he drafted them are actually looking um, pretty darn good. We've got Cole strange. We have Jack Jones. What is it with Bill Belichick's ability to um, evaluate those DBs? Like he nails that spot in particular, right? Because we saw it with JC Jackson when they let Gilmore go and then he let uh, JC Jackson go. And we were like, I don't know. He brings in Jack Jones and he's crushing it. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, same with Kyle Duger, you know, mm. um, out of Lenore Rhine College. Like, look, I mean, I, where is we that? All, we all <laughs> saw him coming out and I was like, this dude's going to be a player. This dude's going to be a player. Mm. So so let's go back. And because uh, I, you know, I compliment when I would meet with Coach Belichick, you know, I'd compliment him on the fact that I said, Coach, you know, you kind of fit in my metric for great defensive coaches. Because the great defensive coaches started on the back end. They started in the secondary. And he, you know, he kind of looked, he likes that, see, because he loves history. He loves the history of our game. This goes back to Tom Landry, who played in the secondary, designed defenses, um, and could, could see it from back to front. Sometimes when you start front to back, you can play up here, but you don't know all what's going on back there. Nick Saban started from back to front. He's a secondary coach, right? Um, we already talked about Leslie Frazier, um, Sean McDermott. Um, these guys are secondary coaches. They get it. They understand how to keep people from throwing the ball over your head, giving up explosive plays. How, because when Dick LeBeau, he's another one, he would teach us there's two positions that get you beat and get you beat quick. Quarterback and defensive back. You make mistakes, Back there, the officials doing this, holding up hands, touchdown. You can't make mistakes. You got to be so good and so sound. You got to understand where you fit in things. You got to see the big picture, right? And that's what Belichick does. He understands. So he's been part of that. Even though he's expanded what he does, he can coach the punters for crying out loud. That guy is so good. But he 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 got his. He's rooted in that part of it, and that's what Nick Saban is rooted. And that part of it, the secondary. And it's so critical and fundamental to winning games because again, you can't make mistakes. You can't. That's why you saw that's why you saw Nick Saban losing it against Tennessee because they're blowing coverages. He had never seen it. I mean, that's you can't live with it because it'll get you beat. Yeah. I don't care how good you are, it'll get you beat. And and there's gonna be some guys losing their job after that one. Cause but but getting back to to Coach Belichick. You know, when I seen Jack Jones, I was like, oh, my God, they got another one. Oh, yeah. And I already knew Duger, Kyle Duger. And, uh, you know, I already knew he would be that guy. They've got multiple safeties on this team that can play at a high level. They know how to develop uh, the, um, the corners. What he wants and craves in defensive backs, which I think is vitally important, is you have to be multiple. You have to be able to play more than one position. You got to be able to play inside. Got to be able to play outside. You got to be able to play short. You have to be able to play deep. Those are usually four different kinds of players. Belichick was the first defensive back coach that understood that in secondaries, I need to get guys who can be multiple. And that's why you see a moving of Devin McCourty, who they had drafted um, out of Rutgers as a corner, immediately turn him to safety. And I've had that conversation to with him about what he looks for and what he wants. And I know that's how he thinks. And I know that's philosophically what he's looking for in a lot of different players. Duger is a guy that can play down in the box and be physical, but also play in space. And he's a freak of nature that can match up against athletic tight ends as well. And so um, these secondary members in some of these teams, a Belichick, um, a, a team like the Eagles, a team like the, the Buffalo Bills, they're always going to play at a high level on the back end because they emphasize building the defense, starting with the secondary. Solly, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lindsay. Always good catching up with you. Take care of yourself and enjoy the palm trees in L.A. And you can hear more from Solomon Wilcox on the Believe in Bengals podcast with Adam Pacman Jones and also on the opening drive on Sirius XM NFL Radio Channel 88. That is from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. You can hear it from 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern on Wednesdays and Fridays. You can also find Solly on Twitter at Solomon's Wisdom. You can find me at Lindsay underscore Rhodes, and I would love to hear from you. Your thoughts on the show, your thoughts on the season, 
You can also leave a review of the show on whatever platform you're listening. I'd very much appreciate it if you would hit that five-star button on your way out. Also, the subscribe button. Shows come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday during the football season. Big thanks to our producer, Andrew Emmer. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the Monday night game. We'll be back here again on Wednesday, and hopefully you will join us for that. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Series XM Podcasts.